When the Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth and ministered to people for three years, He attracted people to Himself not just by the signs, wonders, and miracles but more so by the gracious words which He spoke. There were times when He offended other people, notably those whose hearts were hardened against Him. These were the religious leaders of the day who had made religion a lucrative business and also sought to control people with traditions and customs which were purported to have come from the laws of Moses. Some were offended because they could not understand his parables or illustrations. Some of the disciples, not among the twelve, left him after he spoke of himself as the living bread that people should eat, and his blood should also be drank so they will live forever. These words were so repugnant to them that the Bible says, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. John 6:66. what a verse reference that is. The twelve were not exempt from this experience. We would think that at the time when Jesus' ministry on earth was drawing to a close, they would have gotten used to his heavy punches, but no. It was at the dining table when this happened. As they were all reclining at the table and partaking in the Passover meal, suddenly Jesus exploded a bombshell in their faces. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Matthew 26 20-21 You can imagine the deafening silence in the room. It was so quiet you could hear the crickets outside. Perhaps there were a few gasps of bewilderment. The question is, why did Jesus have to say this? After all, even if he kept quiet about what he knew, the disciples would eventually find out who the traitor was anyway. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Matthew 26 22 Rather than strengthening the disciples in their last meal on earth together, Jesus chose to deliver one more blow right in the solar plexus. I would imagine they lost their appetite after this. Look at how the question was framed, Lord, is it I? Some of them might have put the food that was about to go into their mouths back on the plate. This reveals that even the closest of the twelve understood that their affinity and affection for Jesus was not a guarantee they would not sin against him. Perhaps the most memorable example of this was Peter who got rebuked right after a peak spiritual moment when he declared the truth of Jesus as, the Christ, the Son of the living God in Matthew 16:16 only to be rebuked as having the mind of Satan trying to resist God's will for Jesus. There was no love in Peter's admonition. But he turned, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Matthew 16:23. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also had their share of bloopers when they even involved their mother in a lobby effort to secure the top places in the kingdom of God. Matthew 20:20-21. 20, there was no love in that ambition. At another time, the disciples tried to discourage Jesus from going back to Bethany because the Jews tried to stone him there. But when Jesus decided it was time to go to Bethany to wake up Lazarus, I can almost hear Thomas sigh loudly, shoulders dropping, and saying, Let us also go, that we may die with him. John 11:16. There was no love in that resignation. All of them ate their words afterward. So when Jesus spoke about someone betraying him, this was a serious matter because it involved breaking a trust. And trust is one bond that holds any relationship together. Instead of a pep talk over dinner, Jesus chose to intentionally hurt them. Or, did he? Jesus as the omniscient God knew who the betrayer was, but he dangled the truth before the disciples, to test them. Why do I say this was their test? Because he gave them a clue of the rat's identity. Obviously, Judas Iscariot was not paying any attention to the conversation in the room because his mind was already outside pondering the next events, and what he might do with the 30 pieces of silver. When the reveal came, and Judas started to leave the room, did any of them stop him? Should we blame the eleven for acting like wimps? 
I believe that if just one of them shouted in rage at Judas to stop him, the rest would have lunged at Judas in a tackle. If you were one of the eleven, what would you have done? Let me answer that for you. You would have done exactly what everyone else did. Nothing. Not nothing as if I don't care, but nothing with awesome paralysis of the will, realizing that all of these were happening. Because this was a hair-raising God moment. When the love of God would begin to take shape in a way that the world could never comprehend. Not even the angels could figure this out. Remember what we said about God's tests. It is designed to prove that we can win, not that we will break. This test proved to the disciples that God's sovereignty is immutable. What he says will happen is unstoppable. The temporary paralysis of the will of the eleven dragged on for a few more days, until the resurrection when life for the disciples would never return to their old normal. Are you going through some paralyzing times? Is fear crippling you today? Let me ask me a more serious but loving question. Friend, if you die tonight, where do you think you will end up? If you are unsure of your eternal destiny, now is the time to make your life right with God. You see, all human beings, me included, are sinners. If you would honestly assess yourself right now, you probably have lied to someone. Or taken something that did not belong to you. You might have looked at someone with lust in your heart. Or hated someone and wishing him slash her evil. Or, used God's name as a cuss word. If so, that makes you a lying thief, an adulterer, a murderer, and a blasphemer. I think you know where such kinds of people end up already. But God sent Jesus to earth on a rescue mission. That's what it says in John 3:16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All who turn to God in humble repentance, coming back to the Creator and ask for forgiveness, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave his life on the cross as payment for sin, who rose again the third day, ascended to heaven and is coming back to take all his believers with him to heaven, you can receive forgiveness for your sins and be restored into a relationship with God. All you need to do is repent, ask him to forgive you, and entrust your present and future to Jesus Christ. If you are sincere, the Bible says you are saved and made as new again. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Romans 10 9-11 You can stop being ashamed of what you've made out of your life. Guilt does not have to haunt you until your dying day. Accept the offer from Jesus and the receipt is gift of eternal life today. Hurry. This offer is good only until the rapture. If you've made a decision to believe in Jesus, let me know. I wish to help you grow in your new faith in the God of the Bible whose promises never fail. Are you blessed with this issue? Well, bless others with it, too. Click on the follow button for more issues like this. Until then, God bless you.